Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. And we are on. Okay, wait, do I have to click these little things? Yeah, I guess no, I... you don't have to click anything. Don't, don't, <laughs> okay. click, don't click a thing. Okay. Hello to the wonderful, incredible children's author, Jennifer Byrne. Hello, Mel. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. So before I forget, my name yeah. is Mel Rosenberg, and I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel, of the New Books Network. And I am here to celebrate with Jennifer Byrne her incredible, wonderful, colorful new picture book. You have it to show everybody, Jennifer. I do, I do. Here it is. Okay, so. How the Sea Came to Be and All the Creatures in It. By me and the amazing Amanda Hall, an incredible, I was so lucky to get her as an illustrator. You know, Jennifer, usually we talk about um, a slice of life. Um, you've done 11 billion years here in the, maybe 14 billion in one picture book. Do you want to show us and read us some of it? Okay. Um, it's, it's in three parts. The first part is the geological creation of the oceans the second part is the very early life in the sea. And the third part is all the sea came to be. But I just want to show you even just the end papers. Like, look how beautiful Amanda's illustrations are. So you want me to read you a little bit, right? And uh, yes, read everybody. And also, um, and also show some pictures. Okay. So uh, well, it, well, it starts with the hot, simmering, sizzling earth, which I won't read you this page, but... Uh, yes, next, it's my favorite. Read it. The next page is my favorite. I'll read both. Okay. 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 It, it's, it's your show. You get to do whatever you want to. Okay. Um, I know uh, that if you're uh, a dancer, you can dance if you want. <laughs> um, part one, the birth of the sea. Billions and billions of years long ago, when the earth was young and new, the world was so hot, rock melted and boiled, and fiery wild winds blew. So that's that. I, and I'm kind of partial to the next one, so I'm going to read it. Uh, volcanoes exploded from inside the earth. They blazed and they blasted and boomed, and comets and asteroids crashed out of the sky, rocky and icy. They zoomed. Earth sizzled and simmered for millions of years. It bubbled and burbled and hissed. It raged and it rumbled. It thundered and boiled, spewing lava and steamy hot mist. Yes, that's that's the that's the spread I was referring to. That's yeah, my favorite. I, I thought it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. So and then and the, then then show all the teeming life. Um, uh, you're you're incredible. Well, well first, you're, you're, first, your rhymes to... are wonderful. One second, Thank I'm you. paying you compliments. Um, you. In addition to being a wonderful, generous person, uh, you're an extremely gifted and talented writer. Um, I'm you. astounded by 
by the words, by the lyrical poetry. It's wonderful. Well, we talked a little about the relationship of poetry to music. I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but um, I'm, I'm just going to read you the part where the oceans formed here. So here's this magnificent, uh, out of these the steamy hot clouds. And out of those clouds, for the very first time, rain started to fall to the ground. For days and for nights, for thousands of years, it thundered and rained and poured down. It rained down the mountains, it rained down the rocks, washing salt to the water below. It rained oceans and oceans all over the world, the first oceans so long, long ago. So, so that's the first part of the book. And then we get into the first tiny little bits of life that became more and more and more. And then it goes through the really early life forms. I'll read you one of those. Here. Um, a little twist here and a little turn there. They combined and they grew and they changed. And bigger and wider and longer they got in new forms as they all rearranged. And then I'm just going to show you these beautiful jellyfish because I love these. So it goes through the very prehistoric oceans and then it gets to all that the sea became today. And one second, there's, there's, don't, don't skip the one about the worm. That knows oh, which you, want, way you like the worm? Okay. Which knows which way it's going. I'll read you the worm. Okay. The, the worm is significant because yeah. everything was um, radially lateral, you know, from a central point. And then the worm had a front and a back like us. So that's why the worm's significant. So here's the worm, our, our very ancient uncle worm. Yeah. Um, so to the sea came a new shape of life. The form that it took was a worm with a head in the front and a tail in the back and between, in the middle, a squirm. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, for the very first time in this new, for the very first time in this new world of ours was a creature that points as it squirms with an idea of where it wanted to go to find food and to meet other worms. So, so that's it. like us, that's the, uh, that's the first relative we can really relate to. And then it just goes on and on to what the sea became today with magnificent, beautiful illustrations. I mean, everything she does. I was so lucky to have her bring my words to life. I don't Can you see this one? Yeah, they're, they're just gorgeous. So do you, do you want to say a few words about the uh, editor and publisher? Um, yeah, it's... Um, well, it's Erdman's, and this is the first book I've done with them. I, I did a lot of others with Chronicle, and mm -hmm. um, it was great to work with. It was it was a whole team, and everybody communicated. It wasn't it, you know. Some publishers like you're very separate. The authors here, the illustrators there, the you know the editors there, and but this it was very team like. So it was really great. And this book, obviously, because it's four and a half billion years of, of history. It took a lot of research. And so we shared a lot of research. I did research that I sent to Amanda and she did so much research. I said, she should have gotten a PhD in marine biology. I mean, she contact, she lives in England and she contacted the local museum and we had a, um, a, a specialist in marine biology to help. Uh, it, it was just a wonderful team project. And Kathleen Mertz was the um, editor, but but the art directors, everybody, they really pulled together. It was a nice project. So Jennifer, I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of children's books and I have not seen one like this. Um, it, like the life on earth is supposed to go back 4 billion years. And Earth itself goes back 11 billion or more, according to scientists. Four and a half billion. What? Well, well, for the, the, well, the, with the geological formation, it ah, okay. goes back four We're not, and a half billion. Ah, only four. You, you and have half to billion. have you have to have the ocean and and you know. So, so yes. your your, yes. your story is only four and a half billion years old. Only four and a half billion. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, you set some kind of record there. Um, okay, so. Take us back to baby Jennifer. 
Okay. And uh, talk to us about your incredible career. And I'm going to stop you once in a while. Okay. Um, well, I, I know you always ask what favorite books were. And um, Winnie the Pooh was a real favorite. And Ferdinand the Bull. Um, but I have something for you. I have the very first book that sort of, there's sort of, there are moments in my life where things like, like if it was a calendar, I would get a star on that day. Something amazing happened. So this little book, I don't know if you can see it. Can you see it? We Fishy One. Um, it, it's like an ancient book because I'm an ancient person. Um, it, it's the first story I ever heard. My mother read it to me. I couldn't read. Where the whole story was told in rhyme. And somehow that was like, amazing to me it's like you know i heard little kids dopey little nursery rhymes but this was a whole story told in rhyme and this story happened to be a theme that resonated with me so much that i've even written a book later about the same theme you know how they say there are six basic themes or 18 basic themes this is one of them it's it's the outsider who's different and not accepted and then through that outsider's actions, they not only become accepted, but they become celebrated. That theme, I don't know why, it just spoke to me. And um, so, so that's it, this little, this little tiny ancient book, We Fishy One, all in rhyme, a whole story in rhyme. And, oh, who, who, and, who, who, who wrote it? Um, it, looks, it looks like a little I, golden I can't, book. I can't even pronounce this. Kira... Melis, Melisartero. It's it, it's not a famous book, and it, it probably. It, it's I, not, I, it's I not a little up. golden book. Can, can you just read it? It's not uh, a golden uh, book. No, no. no. If, if you look on eBay, they're yeah. really expensive now. It's like a collector's item because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy that, Jennifer. But but can you just read a page of it? Um, you know, I went back to read the page, and I actually saw the rhyme is it's not as good as it could be. But I'll so, tell so I'll, what? But I'll tell you what the story was. The story was that it was this little black fish, and the black fish lived in a world of golden fish. So it wasn't accepted. And um, let's see. And and the here's the king and the queen with their little golden daughter, and the, you know they're all golden fish. And then um, I, these pages are falling apart. They're falling out of the book. So he was the, the black fish of the fishily. So, so black fish is little fishy one, and he's the rejected one. And then here's, you know, the whole golden family. But then later in the book, all told in rhyme, the little golden one um, gets in trouble. And I can't, I can't even find the pages are falling apart. But the black fish saves a little golden fish and suddenly it's welcomed in and celebrated and despite being different it's you know it's accepted and celebrated so that story just always gets to me that theme so and as a kid growing up in new york um yeah mo mostly i grew up in new york i was a little while i was in great neck and purchase but basically yeah grew up in new york and um, then Ferdinand the Bull was one of my favorites, you know, again, kind of an outsider. And then um, I think the next book that really affected me was Tubby the Tuba. And, and the amazing thing about that is it combined a story with music. And it was like, I don't know, somehow that was like amazing. You could have a whole story and music too. And I didn't know about musical theater then because you know as a kid but but it kind of opened me up to stories can be different not just books they can have other things and music and and again it's kind of that plot that i like a lot you know they like the outsider who is different and then um through his own actions but with the help of a little frog um he came up with the melody and brought it back and suddenly the outsider was they were interested in him and then he was accepted and then he was celebrated. So, and, and with music too, it was perfect. Okay. So were, were you an outsider? Tell us about the little you. I, 
I can't figure this. I've never figured this out. I think I was an insider who thought I was an outsider. But um, when we, when I was really young, we lived in Purchase and Great Neck and on kind of big properties. And I was alone a lot, you know, so I made my own entertainment. I didn't have a lot of friends because it was like, you know, big fancy kind of estates. And, and so I just was very alone. So somehow, I don't, I don't know what the, where the outsider thing came from. Is this mm-hmm. a therapy session or is this about books? I think it's a little bit of both, Jennifer. Okay, okay. okay. Um, I, I don't no, know. Because, I'll have to, I'll have no, to work on that one. We can talk about that. But I like, you know, like you knew when you were coming into this that I'm interested in the psyche of people who write for children. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I researched, I researched Cousteau and Emily Dickinson and Neil deGrasse Tyson, but I've never researched me. It wasn't until you said... You know, we, t- we were going to do this interview that I started taking notes on me and looking at like threads that carry through. And I didn't even realize in, until this that, that thread carries through of that outsider who stayed true to themselves and became an, became a, not an insider, but became celebrated for who they were. Yeah. yeah. And and you are celebrated for who you are. Well, and, 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 and rightly so. Um so I, 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 I'm asking the questions. I'm, I'm, I'm fishing here for the for the answer that you were a dancer and um, yeah, I was. And you and you worked for Andy Warhol. You I shouldn't was. have sent. You shouldn't have sent me all this stuff because yeah. I read it. Yeah, but but you skipped. Um, so one of the amazing things was was the effect of music on me and on my writing. You know, some people learn to write, I guess, from reading books, and some from teachers. But for me, it was like, you know, after Tubby the Tuba, it was like lyrics that somehow, um, I, I think I, t- I told you about, I know I told you about this one um, when I was four, I think, and we were taking a little vacation in Florida and there's a, a jukebox there and it played Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered. And it was like something incredible happened to me. Like I heard that language. I'd never heard language like that before. You know, I'm wild again, beguiled again, simpering, whimpering, child again, bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Am I, and this internal- Couldn't sleep and wouldn't sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm, tell me I yeah. couldn't sleep. But I never heard like internal rhyme before, like, like, you know, children's rhymes are so stupid. You know, they did it rhyme. And this had rhymes inside and and beginnings of words that were the same. And, and it was like if I had a calendar of my life, like that day would get a star. It's like something amazing happened that I realized about language from that song. And and then lyrics became, I think my teachers and you you wrote that you uh, would um tell your mom i have a song i have a po- i have a poem coming um, yeah yeah i i couldn't it, i was still like i don't know what three four five it, i didn't know how to write words so i would say to my mother i have a poem and and she knew to take out a, a piece of paper and a pencil and and i'd dictate a poem and she'd write it down I, I wish I had more of them now. Have any I, have any of them survived? Only two. I, you know you're going to read them now, right? No, not. No, not. I'll, I'll, come on, Jennifer. It, it's, it's just me it, and you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the end of one of them. Okay. And it's it's probably better than most of the stuff I've written today, but um, it, it was about a relationship i mean i'm like four years old writing this stuff but it ended with i hate i hate i hate your love so i know it these aren't like happy little children's poems they're whatever is going on with me Okay, so 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 Jennifer, I, I feel I'm like I'm gonna make the couch now. I got yeah. No, I, I'm I'm going to make this very easy for you, so we can move on with your yeah, incredible yeah. life. Okay, so do you write to this four or five year old? Yes or no? Um, yeah. Okay, we, we can move on. So we can yeah. move on. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> mean, okay. I I think I write to 
the five to seven year old in me, you know, I have a little range there. Yeah. Or, or maybe you write together. Um, yeah. It's, there's a part of me that's the audience. Um, and I write to another audience too. Um, like when I'm writing about Cousteau, he's always there on my shoulder. Would he say, yeah, this is me. Or again, with Emily Dickinson, if she read it, would she say, yeah, that you got it. So I'm writing to the child, but I'm also writing to the subject of the book. It's a good thing you have two shoulders. Two what? Two shoulders, each for one character. All right. <laughs> well, one's inside and one's on the shoulder. <laughs> Okay. No, so uh, this is very interesting. So um, uh, everything about you is interesting, Jennifer. So, so you, you, you grew up uh, and you were interested in musical theater, but you were basically a dancer? Well, I was in children's, again, you know, there are these moments in my life that are like, they just change things. You know, again, on that calendar of life, like a star gets on that day. And when I was, I was really, I was, must have been like three or something. I saw the movie, The Red Shoes. Did you ever see that? Um, Probably when it was when I was three. Yeah. I, I had no idea what it was about. It was way too mature for me. But the ballet, it just, something grabbed me. And like, I knew I had to do that. It was just, you know, these, these like currents come into me, like, like, like if I'm a river and then this stream comes rushing in, it's just, and I had to be a ballet dancer. So I did that. Um, I got into um, American School of Ballet, Balanchine's school, and I danced in the Nutcracker for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, like, that was it. Okay. But, you know, and, and I was kind of back to other interests. So at what age did you call it a day with the ballet career? Um, I don't know. I have to go back and look at uh, maybe eight, nine. I, I'm I'm really not. So not these sure. were these were very early interests. It was all early. It's whoever mm -hmm. I am now was created by that little person. It's like I'm just the result of it. I I was in children's theater too. Yeah. But um, I was shy. You know, I'm shy basically. So I would paint sets and I would dance. I didn't like to say lines. Uh, um, so, but that little person formed me now, I guess. It's wonderful. And so were you shy uh, all through like high school and uh, college or what? Um, not with my friends. You, you couldn't I, have I been that open. shy. Jennifer, you worked for Andy Warhol. Yeah. Come on. I, I, I'm not shy in spontaneous situations. It's more if you stick me on a stage or if you stick a camera in front of me with, with an interview that's been planned for two months or something. But spontaneously, I'm not shy. But, you know, I like, um, so this has been an oive uh, couple of months, you know, when you found out you were going to be on the show. Um, and you told me it's like one of your first interviews ever, which is kind of incredible because you're doing remarkably well. People are going to look at you and say, she's a, she's a natural. She's well, a pro. I love being interviewed and blog yeah. interviews. I, I, yeah. When you write, you can write something. No, but and I, 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 and edit it. When you talk, you, it's just, whatever comes out. You are, know? are you? Yeah. Are you suffering right now? No. So no. let's move you, on. You, then. You, you make me comfortable. You're a good interviewer. Okay. So tell me about Andy Warhol. I'm. I'm um, like, of all your career, that's one okay. of my big jealousies. Okay. That well, that was like just a fun period. It's um, when I was in the end. I went to art school. You went to Parsons. You went Parsons, to Parsons. Parsons wow. School of Design. Wow. I didn't know what I wanted to be. And I was kind of studying advertising, which, which is what I went into. Um, and somehow somebody invited me to Andy Warhol's, to the factory, to his studio. And um, I don't know exactly what happened. The people who invited me, I wasn't really wild about, and Andy Warhol wasn't really wild about that person. And so somehow just a communication started. And then I would go after school every day and do projects. I would do silk screening or um, I ordered, you know, the, the movie horse. I, I ordered the horse. I found a place for, 
you know, it was just, you know, whatever had to be done, it was fun. And you'd work during the day and then I'd get paid by at night. Um, we'd, I'd be taken out to dinner. There'd be parties and I would just be swept along with the crowd. And, uh, but I was a kid there. And he, he treated me you, like that. He was kind of protective of me. That's fine. And, and, and he did, and rightly so, because there were bad influences over there. There were. There, there was one night we were, we were at a, um, a dinner. Yeah, it never occurred to me then who's paying for these dinners. You know, the rich people in the crowd. There's dinner at an Italian restaurant, and there was champagne. And somebody said, uh, who wants sugar in their champagne? And other people said, I do, I do. And I said, I do. And he said, no, you don't. Because do you know what it was? Of it had in the sugar. So he wouldn't let me have it. So you, you were going to Parsons and you were in New York and you were with Andy Warhol, but you were still a good girl. It was what? You were still a good girl. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was naive. I, I, was, I was creative and I was energetic, but yeah, I was naive. Did, I, I did, wasn't did a, you, a druggie did, or did, anything. No, did you meet any of my heroes, Leonard Cohen? Um, no. any... uh, Truman Capote. Okay. I went to a party. Wow. Okay. I, I was such a good girl. I would always have to call my mother and tell her where I was. So we, you know, you never knew where you're going to be. Like this group kind of just swept around at night. So I ended up at it was a big fancy apartment and it was kind of a party and Andy and his whole group was there and Truman Capote was there. So I had to call my mother because it was getting late. And I said, can I stay a little while longer? Truman Capote's here. And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> Incredible. And, and, and then after Andy Warhol and Parsons, yeah. you went into advertising. Yeah. And, and, and you, you were brilliant in advertising, but isn't advertising like the kind of the dark side no, no. Advertising was like college for writing children's books. Because the whole thing about advertising is you combine words and pictures and you have to do it in a really tight way. And you have to like know who your audience is and know how to make the message compelling. And then if you're doing a 30 second commercial and you have 45 seconds of copy, you can't. You got to learn how to cut it. So you got to learn how to, maybe a phrase is seven words long, but how can I say the same thought in three words? It was really good training. The only thing wrong with advertising is I had to write other people's messages. You know, I had to write about toys or brokerage companies or pharmaceuticals or you'd be interested in the pharmaceutical part. There's a huge amount of research like to write about, you know, Tums, I worked on Tums and, and other medications. You have to read these big, thick research reports. So, and nobody wanted to do that. <laughs> so the person I worked for would come into my office and she'd go thud and let it flop on my desk and say, read this and tell me what it says. So I learned to research also. It was really good training. Yeah. So um, and, and and you're but you're famous for like a uh, very short uh, epithet for for which yeah you're you're you, you managed to say things in five six seven words yeah I did you what know are you most ones? famous for um, no I I know I want you to tell everybody yeah. else some people are young they won't remember these things but when EF Hutton talks people listen that was a big campaign of how many did you count them. When Hut, yeah, when Hutton talks, people listen. When yeah, Hutton talks, people. anyway, it, and that was a, you know, TV commercials, um, and I worked on Earth Shoe. I worked, I worked on all kinds of projects. I, Hutton is probably the most famous. So, um, you became a science freak and a nature freak. I did. And you bought a house in the country. I did. And um, you you know I I, I interview authors because I'm really interested in them or they find me somehow. Many of them live in the countryside and many of them have taken this um, a love for science and, and become like science writers for five-year-olds as you have. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny because, you know, I'm in the opposite trajectory. I, I'm a scientist who wants to write. I know, wants to write fiction. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's crazy, right? Your, um, your fiction is based very much on your internal truths. I mean, it's not yeah, light but, fiction. It's meaningful yeah. fiction. Okay, but we're, we're not talking about me. So um, how, how, did this, how did this love for science develop? Um, I don't know. It's just something about the natural world. I just saw there's so many interesting stories in the natural world. So while I was in advertising, I didn't really have time to write stuff on the side, but I would read. And the things that interested me most were just evolution. I loved evolution. I'd read everything about evolution. I, I got into viruses for a while. I was reading about Ebola. I was, I, I, I don't know, just all different science subjects, which is so fascinating. Like how it, it all kind of comes out of evolution or biology, or it's just more amazing than, than any fiction I found. So, so that's what I read at night. So when I decided I wanted to write something other than advertising, those were the subjects that were in my head. So, yeah, and, and you've written on Einstein and Cousteau and uh, yeah. your brand new book uh, yeah. How which, uh, cover, cover, covers evolution in about 40 pages um, <laughs> and pre-evolution. Um, so how did, how did you break in to, uh, to writing? It's, it's so difficult to become a children's writer. You were a yeah. successful advertisement, advertisement executive. It's, it's always the hardest part at the beginning. You know, yes, it's but like you, you, were, you, were, you were up there. You were an advertising executive. Everybody knew you. And then you said, oh, no, I, what I want to be is a children's writer. Well, th- when I was, got, I got to go back to when I was young again, because that's what caused this. When I was young and my mother asked me what I wanted to be, I said, I want to be something that's different every day. I didn't know what it was, but I just didn't want to be drone-like. You know? So advertising for a while you know, I was learning, I was coming up in the career. It was different every day. But that, then it got to a point where everything seemed the same. Like this assignment is like that assignment is like that. It, it was just, it just had just worn thin. And because I was getting older, I wasn't getting to write on the accounts that young people are getting to write on, the more energetic account. They were starting to give me like pharmaceutical stuff to write on. I said, this is not going well. So... I had built this house in the country. I'd actually designed it and had it built, which is amazing. And um, so I moved up here. And um, in the meantime, I I had um, gotten married to somebody who was an art director. He moved up here with me and we were freelance for a long time. And we just did less and less freelance and more and more living in the country. And then I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But I knew I liked the combination of like words and pictures. Like there was something magical, you know, about that combination. And um, children's picture books. I mean, what's more beautiful, you know, what genre is more amazing than, than a book of, you know, 32 or 56 pages with gorgeous illustrations that tells a story? It just, it just seemed like the perfect transition for me. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir here, of course. But how did you make the transition? Um, I guess like everybody, you know, I just started writing manuscripts. I started experimenting. Um, one of the very first ones I wrote was this one, How the Sea Came to Be. It, but um, it didn't turn out to be the right first one because as you know I told you this already I I wrote it like more than 18 years ago and finally 18 late because back then um we we didn't talk about getting an agent but but anyway back then books about the ocean about phenomenon about geology about you know that, that wasn't really the thing that was selling and I realized that so then I thought well who kind of represents the ocean well Jacques Cousteau, because I grew up watching him on TV. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, it seems like biographies are popular, they're selling well, so I'll write about Jacques Cousteau. And that was the first one that got sold. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about uh, how you uh, connected with uh, Karen Weissman. Um, 
<laughs> I, I, I emailed you a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, you know, like everybody, I, you know, queried and sent out manuscripts and sent them to publishers and sent them to agents and, you know, had a bigger and bigger file of rejections. And um, you, you almost forget who you query. You just say, or for me, you just send and send and send and send. And, and I had written a, a few manuscripts by then. Um, and one day, like I got an email and it, and it was from Karen Wiseman. And I didn't have any friends named Karen Wiseman. I didn't have any neighbors named Karen Wiseman. I never heard of anybody named Karen Wiseman. I said, but it must be junk, you know, it must be spam. So, and I was about to get rid of it. And I thought, well, maybe I better just check and see what this is. So I checked and I have, I have the email here. I can read it to you. Thought you'd ask. Um, Dear Jennifer, I apologize for the delay in responding. Andrea passed your query letter and manuscripts on to me, and I love your work. I, I had never queried her. I, it was Andrea Brown, I said. So that's why I did the, the name Karen Wiseman didn't mean anything to me. So then the next sentence was very nice because it said, I'd be very interested in speaking to you about representation. And that's another like day on that calendar of my life that gets a gold star. It's like, you know, you're going along, you're going along, and then boom, something happens. Like you, this this past week, you got a gold star day. Your book came out. And so that was, yeah. and, and then yeah, you can, you, whole could, you can interview me. I could. <laughs> you know me like a book, Jennifer. <laughs> or like a piece of music. Before we go on, um, so I, I I have to tell you this story because you'll 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 like I'm I'm waiting like 20 years to tell this to somebody. Okay, I'm telling it just, just to you. At the beginning of the internet, I was supposed to go to South Africa and my tickets didn't arrive. And like it's a few days before my trip, and the guy who invited me says, well, "Why don't you why, why don't you have your tickets?" I keep telling him, "I don't have my tickets. I don't have my tickets." And he says to me, "The agent has been trying to contact you a million times." He sent you a million emails. I said, what's his name? He says, Roy Rogers. <laughs> so I've been putting all of yeah. these. Roy Rogers. Yeah, spam. Hello, Tonto. <laughs> uh, okay, so you reminded me of that. Um, so, so Karen Weisman, and, and uh, now, um, several years later, uh, you have- years later. Okay, but I, I, you have about a dozen wonderful books out. I, um, wow, uh, some biographies. Um, so talk about just a few of your of your wonderful books um, with Chronicle, and you have multiple multiple awards. Okay, the first one. So, so this is the one, um, man, manfish. This is the one that when how the sea came to be. What it wasn't the right time for it, you know. It didn't have a protagonist, or whatever. It got pushed aside. It, it, it evolved. The business has evolved. Now suddenly, books about geol geology, about the ocean, about you know, about evolution—they're popular. Back then, it was eh, nobody wants them. So anyway, so Manfish became the first one, and that was the story of Jacques Cousteau. And I love doing research, but I, I had started researching him in, unintentionally from when I was a child, I watched all his videos. So it was really fun to research him. And it, it helped with my writing too, because reading hit, well, first of all, he's easy to research because he makes films about himself and he writes books about himself. So it's like not a hard person to find research on, but his writing is very lyrical and it's very emotional. So that kind of inspired me to, I should write this lyrically too, because it should be, you know, the way I say, you know, he's sitting on my shoulder looking at the book. It, it should be in the in the voice, in the character of something that really represents him. So that also helped with, you know, lyrical writing. Do you, do you want to read a, a page, please? Um, of Manfish. Sure, I, I didn't pick one out in advance. Well, that that it, it's fun to catch you unprepared, Jennifer. Okay. I'll just start in the beginning since okay. I, I had right. no idea. Okay. Um, our stories, I can't even see it here. Our story starts many years ago 
many years before in France with a little baby boy born under the summer sun. I remember I wanted to talk about his birth, but I didn't want to say he was born in June and I wanted something lyrical. So born under the summer sun seemed appropriate for him. His parents named him Jacques. From the very beginning, little Jacques loved water, the way it felt on his hands, his face, his body, and water made him wonder. He wondered why ships floated, why he floated, and why rocks sank. And um, wow. I, I always try to like do like a little foreshadowing in the beginning and then following this thread. The, the trick in the research to me is finding the thread that connects who the child was to who the adult became. And, and that's what the books are. Um, okay, here's one that was different. Uh, Look up with me and it's uh, the story of um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, A Life Among the Stars. This one was another one of those chance happenings. Um, I guess, you know, I spent summers sailing around on a boat in Maine with my husband. So we're kind of out of touch. The, is, like, is, this the boat, is this the boat that you built? No, no, we didn't, we didn't build one. Oh, oh, we had, we, we participated in the design, but it was built, yeah. by, you know. That's what, right. that's what I meant. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah, right. So you're um, sailing around and, and the Wi-Fi wasn't even any good, but I, I could get texts. And I got a text from Karen and she said, um, I, I forget who she said it was. I, I guess she just said the publisher. Harper Collins is interested in writing a book on Neil deGrasse Tyson and they want to know if you want to write it. I thought, oh my God, it's never happened to me before. That's another day on the calendar that gets a star. They asked me to write it, and it was because of the Einstein book. Um, so I text back, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so that one was the only one that started differently. And, and it just happened that Neil was one of my heroes, somebody I had read about. And when I actually started writing, I sent some of my manuscripts to him before I was published. And this was back in the days when he would actually answer a letter. Now he's too busy and too famous. And he sent me a letter back and it said, thank you for sharing your passion with me. And um, I'm gonna paraphrase, but basically it was, um, I hope you know you'll get the requisite 30 rejections before anything happens. So basically he was telling me to stick with it. And uh, and then that so, happened. So Jennifer, um, you are now. We're, we're starting to summarize now. You have a bunch of award-winning books, and this new one, which is is mind-blowing. And I know that you're commissioned to work on new stories, which I'm not sure I'm allowed to divulge. Uh, but you're you working can, with. I'm not going to. You're working. You can divulge if you want. What, what, you're talking about Harold and Astra. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, we can talk about it a little. It's it's a series, um, but we, we don't have to describe it that much, but it, it's for kids that um, like fascinating facts and numbers, and it's nonfiction subjects told through the fascinating hidden numbers that tell the story of that subject. So the first one is the human body, and that one's actually pretty much all written except for tweaks and it's being illustrated and the next one's outer space so so that's exciting that's new you've, you've done you've done the sea the world um and outer space i mean you know you've touched all the bases um so so jennifer um in summary uh you are one of these um exquisitely successful authors uh and and you know that you're one in a billion zillion um, and you can say that it's, you know, um, all kinds of things, but it's really, it's really you. Uh, and what advice do you have to tell to the people who are climbing up the ladder and it's so difficult and it's so slippery and greased and the chance is one in a thousand, um, a few kind words for the striving, 
throngs of children's authors. Okay, I, I know you always say that thing, the chance is one in a thousand, but for, this might sound a little... Well, we, 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 we did too much... Jennifer, we did too much research on each other, you see, I okay, told you. Okay, I know. Okay, <laughs> the way I see it, different people come to it with certain basic talents. So to me, the chance is one in a million for some people, the chance is one in a thousand for others, the chance may be one in a hundred with others. I mean, I know you say you make your own luck, but you make your own opportunities, like you have to get your work out there. But the work that you put out there, it, it's, it's, it makes a huge difference. So not everybody, if you average it out, maybe the chances are one in a thousand. But I think if you really research your work and write it with beautifully with where, you, where every sentence, every word is, is just right in a, I think your chances are way better than one in a thousand. Okay. So that's, I don't know that's if that's your... advice. I mean, that might be depressing to some people and it might be uplifting. Well, I, 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 as, as somebody who has been on this path, right. And as you pointed out, I, my first, Traditionally published book came out last week in Hebrew, and uh, yeah, it, it's 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 remarkable. Um, but um, the, the statistics are are always against you. Um, so so my question for you, Jennifer, is that okay? But how do you know when your writing is exquisite? How do you know when you've reached the point where um, you're not um, screwing your chances by submitting something that isn't ready. How do you know when you're ready? I, I don't know. I, I think you know if you work on a manuscript, you know if it's not feeling right, and then you redo it, and you redo it, and suddenly something just feels so right. Like, yes, that's what I... And you keep working on it, and, and this sentence isn't right, or that paragraph, or that thought, and then suddenly you, you solve that. So you know when it's right for you, and then maybe you have to have friends, like we're friends, and show each other things. Yeah, so you have to have friends. I, yeah, I think you did friends you, whose opinion you respect, and then send it out and see what happens. Like some of the rejections I got were, were very friendly, uplifting, positive rejections. So I thought, well, there's got to be something here, you know. Um, I don't know if you know, but you get a, I think you get a sense if, if your writing's good and your ideas are good, and then people can confirm that. Hmm. Um, is that okay, so, so you, you, have to, you have to have critique buddies and critique partners and I, friends who, who will tell you the truth about your writing. Once you respect, because sometimes people, like, like when I was starting to write, people were telling me things, and I thought, that just doesn't sound right. I'm not going to listen to that. I just don't believe that. So, so part of it, you know, it's got to resonate with you, what the people tell you. Like if somebody recommends, oh, that's way too long, cut it in half. It, it, and it doesn't feel right to you. Don't do it. You know, but um, it's a, just keep making your own luck and, and making your manuscripts as wonderful as they can be. And, and oh, okay. So this, already, this is, Jennifer, this is where... Right. Yeah, this is where I'm going to agree with you, right? If you have a manuscript that you haven't revised a million zillion times, right? right? Uh, unless it's Library Lion, <laughs> make sure you've done dozens and dozens of revisions. Yeah. Uh, and when you, but I think when you think a manuscript is great, it can still be greater. That's my take-home lesson from this whole business. Yeah. Well, I mean. You don't want to wait until you're 90 until you get the manuscript right. I mean, there's got to be a point when you send it out. But, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, it helps, I think, sometimes to work on something and put it aside and listen to great music, work on something else, do, and then we go back at it. And then, then you kind of see things will pop out that you didn't notice when you were too close to it. Um but, so uh, I, and maybe it's like ephemeral and, and intangible, and and um, and maybe that's a good thing. Uh, listen, we have we've 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 
had wonderful 50 minutes together. Yes. And for, yes. And for somebody who was uh, reticent about this interview, I think that this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. Uh, my mouth hurts from smiling so much. Uh, if we keep on, I'm going to have to see a, a maxillofacial specialist. Um, <laughs> so in conclusion, Jennifer, would you like to please open your wonderful brand new book that just launched a few days ago um, after four and a half billion years? Yeah, um, 18, 18 years. And, and, no, I mean, yeah, okay, 18 years. And that's also incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah but, you know, books I wrote after this came out first and you know there's there's so many currents that oh together into this river what, what a pun what a pun okay read us read us a, a final uh, spread here okay let's see. and in the and in the meantime I'm going to say that my name is Mel Rosenberg and I am the host of the children's literature channel the new books network and I've been here with the incredible Jennifer Byrne and we've been talking about life and writing and everything in between evolution, um, stars in your in your life history. And uh, this is the star, this book, Jennifer. Uh, it's a wow. It's like a Nobel Prize of uh, children's books. Okay. Well, since this is the end of the interview, I guess I, guess I should read the last spread. And your book is called How the Sea Came to Be. How the Sea Came to the... Be and all the creatures in it by me and the amazing Amanda Hall. I didn't talk about her enough. She's so great. Okay. Let's have her, let's I'll, have her I'll on read. the show. Ask Amanda if she wants to be interviewed. Yes. Oh, uh, she would. She would. I'm, she... I'm game. I'm game. Okay. Okay. I'll set it up. Okay. So I'll read the last spread because the interview is ending. Um, of course. Oh, the oceans, they shimmer with such wondrous lives. Our mysterious, beautiful sea where so long, long ago in the far distant past, the first glimmers of life came to be. Oh, so long, long ago in the far distant past, the first life came to be in the sea. And this is young people finding fossils and being at the beach and just interacting with the sea. Incredible. <laughs> Jennifer Byrne, they're gonna tear my house down. I have to go. <laughs> you are wonderful. I should also mention that you are an incredibly generous human being. Um, I'm honored. I'm honored to be your friend. Okay. And now knowing me, you realize you're get, probably going to get about six or seven emails after this of all the things I forgot to say. I'm not going to read that till tomorrow, dear. <laughs> Thank you. You Thank were you wonderful. So <laughs> Bye. Too.